0: Well, good morning, everybody. Um, those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Matt. I'm the pastor of Worship and Operations. Uh, and this morning, I have the huge pleasure of inviting a guest preacher, another guest preacher, uh, to bring us the Word of God this morning. Um, David Pinckney is a very good... Friend of ours here at Nova Church. Um, I had, I've had the pleasure of um, being pastored by him and learning from him um, in various uh, occasions. Um, David is the former lead pastor at River of Grace Church up in New Hampshire, and now he is the uh, executive director of the Northeast portion of Acts 29. Did I get that right? Close enough? Um, and David works, uh, so he works for Acts 29 for the Northeast in planting churches. Planting churches are very much a, a, a heartbeat of, of his that he really has a has a passion for, and um, he works closely with Pastor Paul Gordon from uh, Terranova Nova North Adams uh, in in rural uh, New England church planting as well as the Northeast at large. Um, there are a few people that I've gotten to know in my life that love Jesus more and have such a, an amazing command of the Scriptures, and it really gives me joy to hand off the baton to Pastor David this morning. I know you'll be blessed by it. Um, and so let's give him a warm Nova welcome and let's learn from the scriptures.
1: Thanks, buddy. Well, good morning. Good to be with you uh, this morning. And Matt, I don't know who you're talking about, but I'm... <laughs> anyway, I'm, yeah, uh, it's a thrill to be with you. Uh, my wife and I were just remembering back, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, we were here... Uh, Acts 29 is about 20 years old, and um, we have tracked with them almost from the beginning. I'm talking about we, myself, and uh, actually uh, Terranova. So um, it's been a great joy and journey. I am, uh, it's it's kind of a weird thing. I actually am lead pastor at River Grace until uh, June 26th. That's what, two weeks away, three weeks away? And... Uh, Uh, We have a young guy who's going to be taking the lead. I'm going to stay there as an elder, so it's going to be a unique role for me. Um, But the other side of it is I stay really busy, and I do wear two hats, as Matt says. I I am the regional director for the Northeast, which is all of the six New England states, New York, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. We've got about, I think it's 44 churches in that region, and our goal is to see that uh, more churches continually planted and then I, all my other hat is I am the rural strategist globally, so I do some stra- uh, traveling, uh, trying to promote rural planting, which has its unique challenges, planting in small, isolated, forgotten places throughout the globe. Uh, and so, uh, Paul Gordon and I hooked up because of both the, the, the Northeast, but also because he's in a small place, and uh, if you've ever been to Concord, New Hampshire, it's small too, but uh, I grew up in uh, small little churches. Anyway, enough about that. If you have your Bible, we're in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, we'll be looking at verses 3 through 14. I think it's really helpful to ask ourselves, how does Jesus see us this morning as his church? So from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, we're going to answer that question in the way God wants us to see how Jesus sees us. I grew up in a church. My dad was a pastor. Uh, I, I um Actually, I'm, I'm born in New York, so I have some roots here, but I moved to New Hampshire when I was just a little guy. My dad pastored rural churches in, in New Hampshire, and so I grew up in that environment. Uh, and in that environment, I learned to love Jesus. But the churches I grew up in were little Baptist churches in small rural towns, and they had this weird thing of worshiping Jesus passionately on Sunday, and then on Wednesday night, they'd have uh, business meetings where it was anything but like church. It was very ugly. So I went off to college. I actually started up here at Word of Life Bible Institute, not far from here. Uh, I started off in college. I wanted to follow Jesus, but I didn't want to have anything to do with the church. And uh, you'll know how that goes. Before I go any further with that, though, I want to ask that the Lord would help us hear from his words. So let's pray together. Lord, you know... Uh, You know us, you know we're human, we're frail. It's hard to listen at times, and it's hard to to preach passionately at times. Uh, But we we surrender all of our weakness to you, knowing that you fill jars of clay with the glory of your gospel and the power of your Holy Spirit. Ironically, because this is Pentecost Sunday, Lord, we uh, are reminded again that apart from your spirit, we can do nothing. So Lord, I pray that you would fill me and and fill my sisters and brothers as they listen to the word of God, that we would each do our parts, that we would respond to the truth that's in Jesus from these texts. Help us and change us. Grow our love and grow our commitment and grow our joy. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So, I kind of set you up to this, like I was going to follow Jesus but not be part of his church, because I thought the church was some sort of a failed plan, and God had a plan B. Well, about the second year into college, I was an RA in a dorm in the, in, in, in the Christian school, and uh, the guys kept saying, David, you make a good pastor? you make a good pastor, because I was shepherding them. And I go, oh, Lord, okay. And then you start to read the Bible, and you find out that the church is actually Jesus' babe. It's his bride. It's his love. It's his passion. And so that sort of changed my reality about the church. And it and, and frankly, it doesn't it doesn't matter how I see his church. It it's more important about how Jesus sees his church. So from this text what I want to do this morning is look at ways and how Jesus sees his church here in Saratoga, how he sees you, Terranova Church, how he sees his Big C church, his 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 church globally. That, that when Jesus sees his church, he sees it with different eyes. And ironically, as, as Paul is writing this, he's writing from prison. He's writing to a church that he spent, I think, about three years in, in Ephesus. And the church in Ephesus, well, I think it was the third largest city in the, in the world. I think it went from Rome, Alexandria, Egypt, to, to uh, Ephesus. And uh, they had their struggles, their struggles with identity. But Paul begins this beautiful letter and the way the letter begins is really who, who, uh, what is the gospel and then who we are the people of the gospel. That's how it sort of how we to live. But the beginning is, is poetic. Now, we don't get that in the English, we're not getting the poetry here. But as Jesus gave Paul these words, it was inspired as a poetic song, really from how Jesus is glorified, how his greatest delight is in us, his people and what what he sees in us. So this morning, in Ephesians chapter 1, I want to begin in verse 3, and look at the way Jesus sees us as his church. Let me read verse 3, and look at the first thought here about how Jesus sees his church. "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places.'" The first way Jesus sees this church and sees you is you're the blessed ones. You may not feel blessed this morning. You may have all sorts of baggage you've carried in here. You may struggle financially. You may struggle with your own faith. Like, do I believe Jesus? By the way, it's a unique thing to stand here before you realizing most of your peers in your community are are, are thinking anything but Jesus this morning. On June, what, is this 5th? They're not thinking Jesus. And here you are gathered to, to honor, to learn, to devote yourself, to grow in Jesus. And Jesus, in all of that, says you are the blessed ones. In fact, you're blessed with all the blessings of the heavenly places. Anyone you're in a relationship to that's a healthy relationship brings you a measure of blessing. When I was in high school, there was a buddy of mine. He was a year ahead of me. His name was John. He was athletic, I wasn't. His father was rather wealthy, I wasn't. But John, for whatever reason, befriended me. We were on the basketball team together. I just said I wasn't athletic, but I was tall so they could use me uh, t- to rebound. Uh, and, and, and John's dad had an island camp on a lake in northern Maine. The, the lake was called Parmaccini is about three miles long and a mile wide. There were only seven camps or cabins on this whole uh, lake. And his dad had the rights to the island in the middle of it, which was historic. Teddy Roosevelt had visited there and fished there, known for their landlocked salmon. And so John, on many occasions, would take me with him on a weekend or during the summer for a week up to Lake Parmacini because his dad had this cabin and had all the rights to fish and and uh, develop that, that island. We see where this leads is that because I was in relationship to John, I received the blessings of him being the son of his dad. This whole text is about you and I being in union with Christ, that we're bound to Christ. And because of your relationship with Jesus, you have all the blessings of the Father. It's that simple. That all the blessings that the Father has given to Jesus All of them, it doesn't say you get most of the blessings. It's talking about every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I don't wanna play around with that word spiritual too much because sometimes people go a little like, well, is that not tangible? Uh, I think, ironically here, is it's beyond what we can, we we can experience in our present fleshly condition. We know we inherit an eternal uh, body on an eternal earth. If you read Revelation that way, a new heaven, a new earth, new bodies, the resurrection. That's why Jesus rose from the grave. That's why we worship on Sundays, because of the resurrection. But all these blessings we cannot see are in a realm that are beyond us. It's kind of like when I was a boy. One of my favorite hobbies was a fish tank. Had, had uh, aquariums growing up. And uh, now I'm older. I like to have a fish pond because then they, they don't bother me in my house. And, whoops, there goes, yeah. Uh, not a big deal. But my fish lived in a, an aquarium, and they, they, they enjoyed swimming around and, and getting fed and kept alive, hopefully. They had no idea what was beyond that fish tank. Well, that's how we experience the spiritual arm. We're living in a fish tank, so to speak. We have no idea of all the things beyond what God has in store for us, what he, his presence but that is yours. We are people who live in a li- life clinging to the promise that Jesus has said, you are the blessed ones. A second, a second thing here, and by the way, I'm going I'm to shock you right now. There are seven of these, okay? Seven of the ways Jesus sees you. The first, you're the blessed ones, all right? The second, you're the chosen ones. Look what it says there in verse um, four. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Our culture is filled with all sorts of choose-me type of shows, like Survivor and American Idol and Dancing with the Stars and and American Has, Has Talent. You know, it's pick me, pick me, pick me. I want to be the chosen one. This verse says you are. I allude back to my childhood it was often here. Uh, in fifth and sixth grade, one of our favorite activities during recess, I know some of you millennials don't know what that is, but we had recess. We went out and played it like at twice or three times a day, and the thing we loved to play most was kickball, which was like baseball, but you kicked it. And uh, again, not being athletic, I always want to be chosen by the guys who are really good, because then you would win. And, and they, not because you were so good, but because they were so good. Well, to, to bring the analogy right to you and me, we may, we may not be so good, but Jesus has chosen you. He's chosen you specifically. It says here to be holy and blameless, fully devoted. Living, living an, an intentional life that says, in my position, I'm going to go back to revert back to this little analogy of the, of the kickball team, where I have been placed by the captain of the team, I'm going to live my life, and it's really ordinary faithfulness. If God has called me to live in an apartment building and, and live, live in a way that uh, I, I, I can't seem to get ahead because of the limitations of my life, Jesus has chosen you to be on his team there, to be holy and blameless. God's called you to be a professional in an office that has all sorts of uh, crazy ethics and different different uh, stuff going on. God has called you to be on his team in that position. Fully devoted. Holy. Saying, I'm going to be I'm, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus in this place. He may have called you to be a mom of a bunch of kids and uh, you, are, you are living in a, a life that's constantly serving others. Hardly Able to get out of the, the sphere of what momhood is. And in that place, God has called you. He's chosen you to be on his team. He's put you in that position to be fully devoted to him and, and blameless in that role. It's, it's ordinary faithfulness where you are. But he has chosen you. Sometimes we need to be reminded that God doesn't just love us. He likes us. And he wants us a part of his team. There's so much more to this, that God has chosen us to be a dwelling place of God, that God dwells among his people, but he has specifically chosen you. This is how he sees the church. You are chosen before the foundation of the world to be part of what he is doing, fully devoted and blameless in our ordinary faithfulness where he's called us. A third thing here in verse 5 and 6 he sees you as the adopted ones. Now, this is really helpful because it's one thing to be chosen on a team because a team ends. You know, I, I'm, I'm watching the Celtics here in the championship, but I grew up watching Larry Bird. Well, that whole team is no longer playing that I grew up watching. Now we got a whole new team. Well, Jesus' team doesn't change because you're not just a team member. You're an adopted child. Look what it says in 5 and 6. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You see how God sees you this morning? You're not just blessed with all the blessings of the heavenly places. You're not just chosen to fulfill in in ordinary faithfulness a role where he has planted you but you are you're an adopted child. The world is really a stinky orphanage. We are all little orphans sitting in messy diapers crying for attention fighting those around us we are hungry for for care we're hungry for purpose we're hungry for identity and there we were screaming and God walks into the orphanage of this world and says I'm adopting you I'm adopting you you're my child and he pays for our adoption he leaves us a set of clothing that we can now change out of the filthy garment of the orphanage And now we have an identity, and he's promised his presence with us as he goes and prepares a place for you and for me. This adoption analogy is so helpful because it's important for us to remember, more than anything, God's fatherly love for his daughters and his sons. We don't believe that very often, that God loves us the way he does, but he's chosen us. My wife and I, Sharon, we have five children. We didn't get to choose any of them. We got them. But we have friends who've adopted six children, and they got to choose each one. I'm not, put, I'm not putting down our biological children by any means. We'll keep them. But the, the idea that the, the choice of God to adopt you and me out of that stinky orphanage... And frankly, friends, we still sit in that stinky orphanage, though we have been dressed in clothes of righteousness by Christ. We've given a promise of where we're going. We've given a kind of a, a picture of what's coming. But we're called to talk to people about an adopting father. Walking around the orphanage, still adopting. Still calling people to be himself, to bless them through Jesus. Now, this leads us to the fourth thing. Jesus looks at you as the redeemed ones. A price had to be paid, as it says there in seven and eight. In him, again, this is all about the work of Christ. This is how Christ sees his church. This is what he has done. He has said, You're the blessed ones, you're the chosen ones, you're the adopted ones, and here he says you're the redeemed ones. He has paid the purchase for our adoption. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom. And insight friends if you're sitting here this morning and you've been coming to church thinking I want to go to church because I, I, I really want to feel close to God I want God to accept me I'm hoping that somehow he will he will love me friends you don't you don't that's not how. that's not the, that's not the good news the good news isn't about you trying to clean up to get to God the good news is that Christ has paid for your adoption he has paid for your redemption again reverting back to my childhood I don't know why I'm doing this so much but Anyway, we used to go around and collect, on the side of the road, uh, empty uh, bottles and cans. And and uh, actually, it was kind of funny. My, my sisters, uh, I got into this thing where I had a skateboard, and they would pull behind me. I'd, I'd uh, be riding the skateboard. They'd be pedaling the bike, and I could scoop up. Uh, that was At least I used to. I, I think I did that well. I probably fell more than anything, but scoop up, empty cans, and... Uh, Uh, Bottles, and we would take them down to the local grocery store. In my day, that was called the A&P. The A&P store had a redemption center where they would buy back junk, give you money, and take that junk and make it useful again. You see the analogy here. Jesus is the redemption center. My life was trashed, filled with sin, empty, discarded on the side of the road, And God in his kindness through Christ has paid for my redemption and now has made me clean and filled me with his Holy Spirit and given me purpose and renewed my purpose again. This is the story of the gospel. We are in need of redemption because our sin is so great. we do not know how bad we are. If every one of my thoughts and every one of my words were to bring pleasure to my creator, how often have I robbed him of the pleasure that my mouth and my mind are supposed to bring him. I am so guilty, so so vile, so worth judgment. But this doctrine of sin is not one of a doctrine of despair if we know the doctrine of redemption. That Christ has come through the death on the cross, that the wrath, the judgment that I deserve, that you deserve, fell on the Son so that we could be fully forgiven. This is how Jesus sees his beloved. We are the redeemed, forgiven ones. Lavished with grace and and able to confess our sins as we go. Listen, I'm 50, uh, I'm still 58. Sin is still as real, it's still a struggle. But you know, the fact that my sins today are paid for by Christ enables me to come and do at the end of the service what reminds us that we proclaim his death till he comes. That's what we do. We remind ourselves that Christ has paid for my sins that I committed today that committed yesterday that I will commit tomorrow I am redeemed we have been shown this secret we have been revealed to us this this work of Christ that leads us to the the other way fifth way Jesus sees you he sees you as the enlightened ones you guys are in on the secret look what it says in verses 9 and 10 Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Do you know that you're on the inside of the story? That you know where we came from, where we're headed, why we're messed up, and who is the solution? My wife and I, uh, I don't know, a dozen years ago, we joined a local book club. There were, at that point, 17 of us in it. It was a it was anything but a Christian book club, but it was a great place for us to be on mission in our community. And uh, over time, uh, we just learned to love these fr- friends. And, and uh, every story, almost every story has a redemptive theme to it. And so it's become like like the last one we're at. They say, well, Dave, where do you see God in this? Like, It just becomes a normal question. Okay, Dave, where, where's, the, uh, where's the implication of how you see the redemptive story in this particular Uh, book and we read some crazy books well anyway we read these books every month but my wife Sharon has a a tendency at times to go to the end last chapter to see how the story is going to end that's just part of her reading pattern frequently well friends we have read the last chapter we know how this ends you are in on this secret you know what it's like to be in on a secret like you have been told what's going to happen You are the enlightened ones. The mystery of God's plan has been revealed to you. The world today, Saratoga, New York, New England, America, the world, people outside of Christ have no idea why we're here or where we're going. You do. And the Father has decided that through all of this, you would see Christ as as the center of not just your life, but the world. All things were made by him and for him. Psalm 24, we love to quote Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 24 begins, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it and the world and all who live in it. It's his. He is going to redeem all things and make all things new. You know this. So we live this way. We live as people who've been told by Jesus, have been revealed by Jesus, that we are blessed with every blessing that Jesus has. We've been chosen, we've been adopted, we've been redeemed, and we've been enlightened. And it gets better. We could stop there, but it gets better. Verses 11 and 12. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of of him who works everything according to the counsel of his will. Jesus sees you as the enriched ones. The word inheritance is used there. My mom passed away. My dad passed away in 2011. My dad, mom passed away in 2018. Our, my full inheritance was seven thousand dollars. That was pretty good. Got me caught up on my back taxes. Um, my, my wife had some. Her grandparents on mom's side. They, they were hardworking farmers. They had 40 acres in Maryland, and they both worked day jobs and they farmed and, and uh, they. Grandma sewed patches on top of grandpa's patches. I mean, they just were hardworking. But when they left, their property, which was about uh, 45 minutes outside of Baltimore, had become a gold mine. And we're talking, it was worth millions. And when they both passed, I thought, hmm, maybe granddaughter will get some of the inheritance. Nope, none. I had a brother in law. Uh, we were sent by his wife and my wife out shopping one day. And at the register, he comes from a pretty conservative Christian background. So he shocked me by um, uh, doing two things: offering to buy me some wine, and the other thing is he bought a a mega mega bucks ticket or Powerball ticket. And I'm looking at him, Scott. I like, said, "That's like so out of character for you." And he goes, "Yeah, but it'd be so fun to pay off everybody's mortgage." Well, he didn't win. I didn't get much from my mother. I got nothing from my wife's grandparents. Scott didn't win, but in Christ, it says here, we are the enriched ones. We have obtained an inheritance. Everything that is Christ's is ours. In Christ, he has given to us everything. You and I may slug through life, barely staying ahead of the tax collector, trying to live frugally and generously, and by the way, this enables us to live radically generously if we're going to inherit everything. But we may not get ahead, regardless of all the success guys on TV telling you that you know, your best life is to come and if you only do the X, Y, and Z or buy their you know, particular real estate you know, thing, plan, you're going to be wealthy. That may not be the case. Remember the guy writing this, one of the smartest Christians to ever live? He's writing this from prison in this life we will suffer. We are actually called to do that. We're called to bear our cross. We are actually called uh, from this very concept to be radically generous. We are anti-materialists, not in the sense that materialism is wrong, material stuff is wrong, but it is not our joy, nor is it our life. But you, sisters and brothers in Christ, will inherit everything. Everything. Do not fear, little flock, Jesus says. It is my father's intention to give you his kingdom. So, when people die and they leave you nothing, that's okay. Jesus died. He gives you everything. Last point. I know you've been waiting here. Number seven, all right? That at verses 13 and 14. In him also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is guaranteed, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Underlined there is the line, you are sealed, you are guaranteed. You have a, this is Pentecost Sunday, we're celebrating this idea that God has sent his Holy Spirit not just to empower us on mission. The Holy Spirit does so much. He is the the guarantee that you belong to the Father. He is our, well, synonymous with secure, is this idea of reliable, safe, assured, guaranteed. The Holy Spirit is all that and more. Something good has moved into you and is moving inside of you. This is God, a bit of God, the Holy Spirit of God. He teaches, he encourages, he gifts. He does all these things. But at the end of the day, he is your guarantee that all the other things promised and provided through Jesus are yours. This enables us to endure. This enables us to, to, to pursue a wholly devoted life. This enables us to live as aliens in a, stra- a, a foreign land. This enables us because of the security of the Holy Spirit in us, the comfort, the direction, the promise that He has given to us. All these other things are true because the Holy Spirit has secured it in us. Christ has paid for it for it, uh, for it paid for it for us. The Holy Spirit has guaranteed it in us. So Jesus has sent His Holy Spirit to live in us so that you who are blessed with every blessing in the heaven places, you who have been chosen before the foundation of the world. You who have been adopted and redeemed, you who have been enlightened and enriched, would know for sure, sure that you have all of this in Christ because he has put his Holy Spirit in you. So if these things are true, how do we respond? Well, this this whole poem is a song of praise, and so we'll do that. We'll worship the Lord. We began that way. We'll close that way. But here are three things I think you might are three responses. We'll put that last slide up there. Worship from the soul. We feed our soul. This is, uh, this is like, for those of you who have wood stoves or pellet stoves, this is you intentionally feeding the furnace for heat. That is what it means to worship. We come and we intend, because you and I, we're not worshipers by nature. I mean, we are worshipers, but we often worship other things, right? Like how we look or our health or, you know, whatever. But no, this is what feeds our soul. We, we take these things, the, these promises, these truths that you're blessed, you're chosen, you're adopted, you, you're uh, redeemed, you're enlightened, you're enriched, you're secured, all these things, you, you feed your soul with this. And so we worship, we open this, our souls and fill it with the truth that's the gospel of Christ that's promised in these things, and it helps us worship from the soul. It gives us confidence in life. We are not promised a good life here. We are not promised a good life here. We're promised blessing, but cancer can come. We're, not, we, we, we're just not promised that here. We're promised his spirit, but we're not promised everything's going to go well. Listen, sisters and brothers, we have those who have been in the faith who have been thrown to lions Their children have been thrown to lions because they believed in Jesus. That doesn't look well. But in Christ, all these other things do not change. And that gives us devotion in the world, devotion to Jesus. Because whether you're in Jesus or not, bad things are going to happen. Death is coming to everyone. If COVID has not taught us anything, it's taught us death is closer than we think. It still has a pretty much... A pretty like a 100% success rate. So whether you're in Christ or not, you still have to deal with this world. In Christ now, you have this ability to be devoted to Christ in this world, to his purpose, intention, and promises. Well, I hope this encourages your faith. Even as you look towards the summer, getting away to rest, don't run from Jesus, run to Jesus. But in all that you're thinking about, remember, these are true of you, regardless of how you feel. If you're in Christ, You can have a really bad week, and these things are still true. Feed your soul in that. Have confidence that God, your adopted child, you're his daughter. He's not going to abandon you. And be devoted. Just get up again and say, Jesus, with all the strength I have, I'm going to try to follow you again in this day. Let me pray over you. Lord, in your work on the cross, we have redemption through your blood. And because we've been purchased by you, Lord Jesus, because you have come and redeemed us, you've become us in the flesh, that you have redeemed us by your death, you've also promised us because of the power of the Holy Spirit and your resurrection, Lord, that all these things we've talked about, all these things we've read about are true. We worship you. We thank you. We are grateful that in our highs and lows, these things do not change. They're still true. And I pray, Lord, that my sisters and brothers in this room could leave with a sense that, Lord, if these things are true, I can go into another week. I can go into another day of ordinary faithfulness where I am because you have done all these things. You see us this way. We are your bride. We are your people. We worship you. We thank you. We love you. We're grateful that today our eyes are open. Help us now, Lord. To to live out what we've read and, and heard this morning. For your glory and our joy, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.